Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 99 of the podcast. It's the 22nd of November, 2017, as I record this intro. And this week, the book chat is back. Emma Marie Ford and I chat about the book Escape from Childhood, The Needs and Rights of Children by John Holt. We wanted to dive into the concept of childism through the lens of unschooling. And even though it was written more than 40 years ago, and even though he doesn't use the term childism, Escape from Childhood gave us a great framework around which to wrap our discussion. I really enjoyed the book. As a personal update, we're enjoying the cocooning nature of the fall season here. We've been putting up some decorations, so the house is feeling a bit festive, and last night we moved some furniture around. It's been very fun and relaxing. And a huge thank you to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. And a big warm welcome to new patrons, Christina Lowry, Kinsey Norris, and Sarah Earhart. I really appreciate your help to share unschooling information with anyone who's curious to learn more about this wonderful lifestyle. You guys inspire me to keep exploring the fascinating world of unschooling. And if you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week's quote is from John Holt. Children need love, stability, consistent and unequivocal care, and lasting relationships with people who are profoundly enough interested in them to look after them with warmth, gaiety, and patience. And I loved how he packed so many important points into that one sentence. Uh, just, just to dive in a little bit. So the importance of not only love, but stability and consistency so that children not only feel safe in the moment, but also feel confident that they can count on our love into the future. Our love isn't conditional. Unequivocal care reminds us that it's not about judging their needs from our perspective. Their needs are their needs, full stop. Lasting relationships reminds us that our perspective is lifelong. We will be in relationship with them however long we are both alive. And with people who are profoundly enough interested in them. That phrase reminds us that this is not about parental obligation, but about choosing to care about our children as unique and interesting human beings. With warmth and gaiety reminds us that children are not a nuisance, that our relationships with them are not, quote, less than our relationships with other adults. And with patience reminds us to join them where they are, just as we would with the adult friends that we most value. So much that he covers. And as you'll hear in our discussion, he does not mean hovering over children. He doesn't mean jumping in without being asked and doing things for our children. He's talking about being in relationship with them, caring about them as human beings, as our children. 
It's a great reminder, no matter how old your children are. And with that, let's get on with the book chat. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Laricchia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Emma Marie Ford. Hi, Emma. Hi, Pam. Hello, hello. It is so nice to have you back for another book chat episode. Yay. 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 <laughs> Great to be here. <laughs> this time, Emma and I wanted to dive into the concept of childism. So we started our foray with the book Childism, Confronting Prejudice Against Children by Elizabeth Young Bruhl, which was published in 2012. And as we were going through it, the challenge became, while it was really interesting reading, it was very U.S.-centric and quite focused on child abuse and neglect. Now, she makes great points about how the institutional response to those problems, harkening back in the 1960s, which persist to this day as well, have been very harmful to children. And she digs into the psychological roots of the destructive attitudes toward children that so much of society holds and seeks to prove that prejudice against children exists. So while, again, that was really interesting reading, but as listeners of this podcast, I think it's pretty safe to say that you don't need to be convinced that prejudice against children exists. So what Emma and I were looking to discuss was more about how it applies in our unschooling lives today. So Emma suggested we add John Holt's book, Escape from Childhood, The Needs and Rights of Children, to the mix. Now, this was written in 1974, um, and he doesn't use the term childism itself, but in discussing the needs and rights of children, he points out many of the prejudices against or destructive attitudes toward children and discusses ways we can instead welcome them into our adult lives. So in the end, we decided that Escape from Childhood was a better book around which to frame our conversation today. So with that out of the way, here is the basic premise of the book taken from the book description. Under the guise of care and protection, children are kept in the walled garden of childhood, outside the world of human experience, for longer periods than ever before in human history. But for many children and parents, the walled garden of childhood is more like a prison where authorities compel and limit personal actions. In the preface, he writes, The future does not exist. It has not been made. It is made only as we make it. The question we should be asking ourselves is what sort of future do we want? Part of my answer to that question is what I have written about in this book. So the first half of the book looks at the bigger picture and he talks about the problem and the institution of childhood, uh, the family and its purpose, the competence of children, etc. And then in the second half of the book, he dives into 10 rights he would like to see children gain and very clearly explains his perspective and reasoning on the right to vote, to work, to own property, to travel, to choose one's guardian, to a guaranteed income, to legal and financial responsibility, to control one's learning, to use drugs, and to drive. It is really interesting reading, and Emma and I have each picked out a couple of things that we would like to chat about today. So would you like to get us started, Emma? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, was, I really enjoyed reading the book, 
and um i think it does connect in well like you said with um elizabeth's book on childism and uh the first thing that i was sort of picking up on um was when John talks in chapter two, um, it's called The Institution of Childhood, about how really our idea of childhood and childhood itself is is really socially constructed. So I'll just read a a quote um, that comes from that chapter. Um, John says, in short, by the institution of childhood, I mean all those attitudes and feelings and also customs and laws that put a great gulf or barrier between the young and their elders and the world of their elders that makes it difficult or impossible for young people to make contact with the larger society around them and even more to play any kind of active, responsible, useful part in it. That lock the young that locked the young into eighteen years or more of subserviency and dependency, and make of them, as I said before, a mixture of expensive nuisance, fragile treasure, slave, and super pet. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it's a really strong quote, and possibly uh, for some quite controversial. Yes. Um, but but uh, I thought he really picks up on some of those issues that Elizabeth um, Yulbrunner talks about in childism in terms of the institution of childhood itself, um, how we perceive it actually serves to divide us um, from children. You know, we see us and them. So children are no longer just part of, um, you know, like of us as a, a, a community, but they're, they're separated off. And that makes it possible for us to sort of see them in a different way and to treat them differently, um, to create sort of different uh, contexts for them, you know, like school. Um, <clears throat> and to, yeah, just to really sort of like project perhaps um, some of our own unresolved conflicts and difficulties that we might have, which is what Elizabeth talks about in childism, onto children. Whereas if we didn't have that sort of artificial separation, um, many of these uh, difficulties wouldn't arise in quite the same way. Um, and then John talks in the first few chapters of the book how actually we didn't always have this notion of childhood. And it's actually sort of like a construct that's developed, um, you know, like since the, the 70, well, he talks about it since the 17th century, really, and onwards and through the Industrial Revolution, um, you know, that made it possible um, for families to... Um, to work and do different things but it hasn't always been the case yeah I thought that it's when you uh look look deeper into how um how we relate to children now you can completely see how it's it's been socially constructed it does it's not an innate need you know what I mean? For a child's development. Mm. Yes, yes, support, you know, and and love and a relationship with a parent. But that whole construction or institution, you know, I love that mm-hmm. word, the whole institution mm. around around childhood that has developed. And, um, you know, along along with, it seems, the, the needs of the parents to 
separate more from family, you know, through the industrial mm-hmm. revolution, through where we are now and how we've incorporated work into our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how all that has um, created a need for us to separate more f- physically, right, from our children. Mm-hmm. And this whole um, institution that's grown around that to to almost kind of make that more acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to frame it socially, like this is the way it needs to be for the children. But no, it's it's more developed from a need of, I guess, society as, as a whole, the way our society has developed, hasn't it? Yeah, and I, it, I think it sort of creates, um, which John talks about throughout the book, really particular problems um, for mm-hmm. children. You know, in terms of they have quite a lot of they they don't have as many choices as a result of our sort of how we conceptualize childhood. And mm-hmm. I think um, something which he's advocating throughout the book is very much about children having choices, which is um, and being more empowered to make those choices, which is something I think that as unschoolers we focus on. Um, you know, is we, we obviously primarily focus on nurturing the relationships with our children, but within that is about providing them with meaningful choices and um, them, our children being able to have an impact, you know, like on their everyday lives and on their relationships with us, um, which sometimes I think the notion of childhood or the institution of childhood can take away. Um, mm-hmm. I a bit further on, he sort of mentions, I know we're going to go on to talk about it more and the different sort of rights that um, John proposes. Um, what I liked is, uh, there's another quote that he says here. Um, it, he says, I, I do not want to destroy their garden or kick them out of it. If they like it, by all means, let them stay in it. But I believe that most young people and at, an, at early and earlier ages begin to experience childhood, not as a garden, but as a prison. What I want to do is put a gate or gates in the wall of the garden so that those who find it no longer protective or helpful, but instead confining and humiliating, can move out of it and for a while try living in a larger space. If that proves too much for them, they can always come back into the garden. Indeed, perhaps we all ought to have walled gardens to take refuge in when we feel we must. (laughs) I just I (laughs) love that quote and I got goosebumps again when you read it again because you know, that is so much what we talk about when we're supporting our children. We're not choosing for them whether or not mm-hmm. they should be in the garden or outside, right? You know, to use mm-hmm. that metaphor, you know, because um, when you when you look around today at, um, you know, our conventional society and what childhood looks like, it's so small for them now, right? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have, I mean... Not only do they have so little choice, they have so little contact with people outside their their little space, you know, their family and their school. And, and that's that's all they have time for. And even when you think about the adults that they manage to connect with over time, none of them like... Um, all the adults really have a kind of second class citizen look on children, 
right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not an easygoing, natural, supportive, respectful relationship between a child and an adult, you know, not even mm-hmm. parent talking about parents. But you know, mm-hmm. so maybe it may be a, a sports coach, teacher, you know, all those, um, you have to work really hard to find um, somebody in one of those positions who is truly respectful and connecting with the child on on mm-hmm. kind of a equal level, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not not equal as an experience or anything like that, but, you know, who truly listens to them and considers what they say, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just trying to tell them what to do, do this, do this, do this, you know, there's just mm-hmm. so little of that. And I love the idea that it isn't really, it's also not about, in, in his metaphor, knocking down that wall and, and making everybody you know, fend for themselves kind of dealio, mm. right? It, it mm. is about creating, like we do in our unschooling families, creating those um, connected and engaged relationships so that our children feel um, safe and cared for and loved, but using that to help them step out into the world um, as far as they would like to. And, and I loved his point about also, you know, get out there, explore. And if, if finding it's not something that fits with you to be able to come back without any, you know, repercussions or judgment or, or anything like that. I love the idea That's what of that kind of safe space for anybody. That's one of the biggest things throughout the book that he mentions over and over when he's talking about children is like, we're talking about stuff that's useful and helpful for the lives of anybody, in, adults included, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's one of his really big focuses. And, and that was something that I loved each time. So, yeah, when I, I read that quote that you shared, I thought that that was an awesome way to um, use that metaphor to talk about how we and our children engage with the world. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the one of the points I wanted to share, which was from chapter four, uh, which is called The Family and Its Purpose. Uh, and there were a couple of great quotes from there that I wanted to highlight. <clears throat> First, John wrote, at its very best, the family can be what many people say it is, an island of acceptance and love in the midst of a harsh world. But too often within the family, people take out on each other all the pain and frustrations of their lives that they don't dare take out on anyone else. And a bit later, he wrote, they need love, stability, consistent and unequivocal care and lasting relationships with people who are profoundly enough interested in them to look after them with warmth, gaiety and patience. This notion that a child cannot grow up healthy unless he is at every moment under the eye of some adult who has nothing to do but watch over him is very modern. And and I, I love, you know, reminding myself that this was written in 1974 because, I mean, even today that has gotten nothing but um, grown even more, right? Mm-hmm. That that fear, um, that need to protect children from some nebulous something and that we need to watch over them. You know, they can't walk mm-hmm. to the park. They can't walk to school. They can't, you know, do any of this. Just just um, thinking of children as so incapable of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. So I like the point that uh, the 
points that he made around the nuclear family, how it's been getting smaller and resulting in the circle of adults that children are in contact with getting smaller. We, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. And so when you look at it from the family perspective, which he's doing in this chapter, this puts greater pressure on our parent-child relationships, which, make, which makes them feel more intense, like there's a lot at stake because there's so few adults that they are, our children are connecting with. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of our chat. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in the Attachment Parenting book. Uh, where you mentioned that our actions don't have the desired results 50% of the time and that it's all about reconnecting after, you know, so that came up when it, when he talked about how our, um, that feels like there's a lot at stake and our relationships are more intense. We Mm -hmm. have so much fear wrapped up in creating a quote, ideal relationship with our children that we can feel scared to do anything, right? We shy away Mm -hmm. because we're scared that we're, we might um, knock it off balance, right? When things are going well, we, we want to really just keep it and care for it. But, you know, that actually gets in the way of a solid connecting relationship because you're avoiding connection now Um, and remembering that half the time you may take a half a step in the wrong direction and need to adjust as back to how the metaphor I like of the dance of relationships. Right. Mm. I think I think John nailed it in this sense, which, again, he wrote more than 40 years ago. Many parents find it hard to say no to their children, even though they say it much too often because it seems to threaten their ideal relationship with the child. So in unschooling circles, we spend a lot of time talking about how to build those strong, connected, trusting, resilient relationships with our children. And they are vital so that when we're in conversation with our kids, they know that our comments and questions are truly about the topic not subtle judgments of them as a person. So they don't take things personally and we don't take things personally, right? Um, John wrote, the no is a thing of the moment connected only with the act of the moment. It is not part of a larger yes or no about her as a person. So she takes the no for what it is and life moves on. He was talking about an example he shared um, where a no came up. So I just think it's so fascinating to see that the things we talk about and work on on our unschooling journey today and to to be able to see them through this new perspective and it makes them feel all the more vital and important, right? When Even when you're looking at the bigger picture of childhood and the institution of childhood and family and how we can um, actively live um, today. I just thought that was really cool to see how well it meshed with the things that he was talking about back then. Mm. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, in, when you talk about that, <clears throat> I'm mindful that, um, I mean, probably the listeners know, they might know quite a bit about John Holt already, but he was one of the sort of founders of unschooling and, and a big unschooling advocate. And I also, I like, his work as well because I feel that he did sort of prioritize or he did certainly think about um the relationship um between adults and children the emotional connection um in terms of their learning and how important that was and how you know children needed to feel safe and secure um and loved and cared for um before they felt you know ready to learn um you know he has some lovely descriptions of 
um, his work with children, how they would cuddle up to him and they would read together. And um, when I was reading um, th- this chapter, I was thinking, oh, God, he's really negative about the family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, but then I, then I was sort of thinking more about and I was thinking, I wonder where that came from um, in terms of his own experience. But I guess uh, I haven't read his biography, actually, which I'd be quite interested to do. Um, but I, I, I was, then I was thinking that actually the family can be either a source, like he does mention, you know, it can be a source of nurture and support, but it can also be a lot of source of sort of conflict. And um, I mean, I know in my own work um, that I've been doing with families that children can be traumatised by their parents or caregivers um, and that can have long lasting impacts you know, throughout their life. So and um his this bit also reminded me of um I don't know if you you're familiar with it, R. D. Lang and um he he was working he did some work in the nineteen sixties and he wrote a book called Sanity, Madness and the Family, which really explored how these sort of the you know, these close relationships in the in the nuclear family can end up being quite destructive. Um so, yeah, so I thought John was picking up on, you know, those issues about, you know, the family. Um, it is not always the ideal environment and how giving children more options and choices to move away from that when they feel ready or to connect with other adults is actually a really sort of healthy and positive thing. Mm-hmm. I think um, what, uh, one thing I reminded myself of while, when I was reading this chapter was that this um, book is not unschooling focused. It, mm. He is opening up to the broader idea of childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I have, you know, I've, I've seen that in action in a lot of families and you know some even with unschooling families right we, you can't say that um our relationships nece- are, are perfect like back to that 50 percent again right so many mm. of us uh, certainly at the beginning of our unschooling journey is so much about learning how to be in relationship with another person mm. you know with our our child is is our our motivation right but we learn about relationships in general through that and that is a lot of work that we do up front because we haven't learned how to um i guess release that uh the intensity that we bring to relationships to release the power that's involved right and the judgment mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. people's choices and actions in relationship so it is a lot of work and you know um people who are newer to unschooling haven't might you know are still learning that some people jump in and think unschooling's just you know a free-for-all at first and and don't realize yet that they have that relationship work to do Mm. you know things will still get more out of control until you know they reach a point where they hit that aha moment that you know i need to do something about this i need to figure this out Mm. so you know i had to i had to admit right there when i was reading that that yes you know this this is a possibility and for children there are times um and and families in which 
um, those aren't healthy relationships, right? And that it's great and important for them to have kind of an extended family or, you know, other adults and places that they can go and have healthier or less, less pressure cooker kind of relationships, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I can pick up on a couple of those bits in terms of, I mean, I think the work we need that we do as parents is an ongoing thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, however long we've been and schoolers, you know, there's all, you know, our children change at different points and our relationships evolving. And I know um, you interviewed Teresa Gray and Brett um, a while ago, and she's written a, a great book called Parenting for Social Change. And she's also got some articles on her website that talk, I mean, she talks about adultism. So she's coming at this from a slightly different perspective, but looking at how, you know, as adults, we're, you know, we have our own adult prejudices um, mm-hmm. towards children. And she really focuses on that acknowledges the power imbalance that's inherently there between parents and children and I think as unschoolers we're we're hopefully we are mindful of that and we try and address that balance you know the we try and uh, enable children to have choices and we as you mentioned we try to do our work on ourselves like to avoid um, projecting onto our children some of our own sort of past sort of conflicts or insecurities and Teresa really covers all this in her book as well sort of look at you know delving into that a bit more deeply um just how we're really all vulnerable to that so yeah I mean I guess in a way it's not as if yeah some of us can um you know get it right it's just an ongoing process um that the more aware you can be of it the better yeah I love that because um, that is one of the things you figure out on your journey is it? oh, this isn't something I'm going to learn and finally get right and then can finally relax yeah. the rest of my life. Right. I, I you know, I got the yeah. A and I'm good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, that is absolutely something that you realize along the way um, is that, oh, this is this is life. This is connecting and engaging with people in this moment um, making my choices and and seeing how things go and learning from each interaction and each experience, you learn a little bit more. Because like you said, not only are our children changing and growing, so are we. Mm-hmm. So there's never one static answer that's going to apply um, forever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a great point. And yes, I love Teresa's book and I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes as well. Um, I think that that's a great book for helping us work through a lot of um, the, I don't know, I was going to say baggage, that seems a little yeah. negative, but because, you know, what we've learned in our lives yeah. about relationships up to that point, like we learn what we're engaged in, and depending on um, the family environment that we grew up in, those are the tools and the things that we know when we get started with our own kids, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to do the next point because we decided to do these in chapter order. Um, the second piece I wanted to talk about, which I thought was so interesting, this was uh, chapter 12, and the title was On Seeing Children as Cute. <clears throat> Now, I just wanted to point out to people that this chapter has been excerpted and published with permission on Jan Hunt's website, The Natural Child Project, and I will put a link in the show notes to that as well. 
And I uh, spoke to Jan just a couple of months ago on the podcast. Um, so I will put a link to that as well if you're interested. But uh, what John Holt means by on seeing children as cute is we should try to get out of the habit of seeing little children as cute. That our response to a child is authentic when we are responding to the qualities in the child that are not only real, but valuable human qualities that we would be glad to find in someone of any age. I mentioned earlier how he's always, you know, coming back to this constantly, right? That that um, these are values about being human, not childish, child um, things and adult things. We're, we're talking about human qualities. Anyway, so here's the quote I wanted to share about this. Children tend to be, among other things, healthy, energetic, quick, vital, vivacious, enthusiastic, resourceful, intelligent, intense, passionate, hopeful, trustful, and forgiving. They get very angry, but do not, like us, bear grudges for long. Above all, they have a great capacity for delight, joy, and sorrow. But we should not think of these qualities or virtues as, quote, childish, the exclusive property of children. They are human qualities. We are wise to value them in people of all ages. When we think of these qualities as childish, belonging only to children, we invalidate them, make them seem things we should outgrow as we grow older. Thus, we excuse ourselves for carelessly losing what we should have done our best to keep. Worse yet, we teach the children this lesson. Most of the bright and successful 10-year-olds I have known, though they still kept the curiosity of their younger years, had learned to be ashamed of it and hide it. Only, quote, little kids went around all the time asking silly questions. To be grown up was to be cool, impassive, unconcerned, untouched, and invulnerable. So when I talk about our unschooling journeys, I often mention how our children can be our very helpful guides, and it's exactly for this reason. They are wonderful human qualities that we have lost, that we have learned to try to keep hidden, that we see in our children. So much of our unschooling journey is about excavating these traits so that we can once again fully engage with our lives. Um... I have some examples that he shared uh, to just to talk through. Uh, so I thought I'd share a couple. Uh, the first one was when a young child is crying. You know, many people will pass it off, you know, feeling almost sentimental. You know, oh, and maybe smile in reaction. And for others, it almost strikes them as funny, right? But there's nothing funny about a child crying. As he points out, a small child does not cry for trivial reasons, but out of need, fear, or pain. Um, another example is when our thoughts are clouded by, quote, innocence of children, <clears throat> you know, keeping them in that garden. When a child doesn't know how to do something, we often see their ignorance as, as endearing or cute. You know, imagine you're watching your child try to, to figure something out and um, they don't quite know how to put it together or something. And we can look on them and go, oh, look at them trying to figure that out. That's so cute, etc. And make smile at, at their, you know, confusion. But you know how we talk about so much about seeing situations from our child's perspective? 
that's not how they are experiencing that moment. They don't feel cute, right? That's a great thing to ask yourself when you're thinking, oh, that's cute. Uh, Do they feel cute? (laughs) Um, They most likely want to learn how to do that thing. And as I've talked about before, that doesn't mean us jumping in to save them. And I love how John explained it, quote, they want to escape their ignorance, to know what's going on, and we should be glad to help them escape it if they ask us and if we can. Again, those are the points, right? Um, Following their lead, maybe they are deep in the flow and they're figuring a lot of stuff out as they try all sorts of different options. So not jumping in and taking over that learning for them, but being available um, to help them the minute they look up and they want somebody to help them figure out the next step. I love the point that innocence and ignorance are not the same thing. He writes, by the innocence of children, we mean something more. Their hopefulness, their truthfulness, confidence, their feeling that the world is open to them, that life has many possibilities, that what they don't know, they can find out, and what they can't do, they can learn to do. Um, I think there was one other example that I thought was good about when they're in the flow. Um, That's the same kind of idea, but when you look at it from their perspective, even though it looks cute when they're, you know, maybe they're really accomplished at doing something and they're actively doing it and you're going, you know, whether it's playing the violin or playing a video game or, you know, any activity, coloring, art, whatever it is, maybe that they're passionate about, that they're right into, they're in the flow. Again, we often think, oh, how cute. Look at them. Look at them. Um, But again, they're not trying to be cute. They don't want to be seen as cute. They aren't doing the thing for any outside approval or judgment at all. So don't try to turn your child into an actor in your show. Leave him alone to get on with his work. And I wanted to pull out that last bit because I think it's so important to consider. Don't try to turn him into an actor in your show. And this ties back, I think, to the intensity of our relationships with our children. Be careful not to make our relationships with our children all about ourselves. I think it's something we're checking in with ourselves once in a while about whether we're seeing our children through how they reflect on us rather than seeing them as separate entities in their own right. And that's the difference I mean when I talk about seeing things from our child's perspective through their eyes to help them process things and make the choices that work well for them. Their choices are not about us at all. And I wanted to bring up something um, from the Childism book that stood out for me and that connects to this so well. Elizabeth Youngbrough wrote, And this form of prejudice is something many children experience. They discover that to their parents, they are all about their parents. Think about that for a second. Like children learn that their actions are really all from their parents' perspective. Their actions are all about their parents. Like, uh, what does this mean for me? How does this impact me? How does this reflect on me? If our first reaction to our child's choices is often, what does their react their actions say about me? That's a good clue for us that we may not be giving them that space to be themselves. 
So I thought that was really cool how something as innocuous as just thinking, um, oh, that's so cute. Children are cute, uh, can be a interesting clue to something so important that we are not really um, giving them their own space uh, and and really uh, allowing them to be their own person. We're still seeing them, even though we're trying our best to support them and we want to help them, we're still judging everything they're doing through our lens. And that really, that is a prejudice against them because then they're, they're smart, they're capable. Like she says, they figure that out. And now they have to consider our perspective inside every choice that they do get to make and then it's not their choice anymore right they're not really learning about themselves they're learning about themselves only um in conjunction with us within the framework of us does that make sense <laughs> yeah sure I, yeah and I, I think it's such an important point and something that i think it's really easy to slip into is to sort of not seeing the sort of the the real and individual qualities of a child um it reminded me of a quote um that you probably heard by sandra dodd where she says um if your child is more important than the vision of your child life becomes easier um mm-hmm. i love that, that quote yeah yeah i just i mean i just think the whole thing is you know like when we see children as cute or uh there for for us you know the, to please us then we're not actually seeing them their real qualities and um we're it, we're missing out on so much um in terms of being able to connect with them as well because i think when when we have any kind of lens um it does influence how we interact and um yeah I, I, mm. and i think um you mentioned elizabeth a young girl as well and um in her book she does talk about how you know prejudice operates um because we other children really we see them we don't see them as people like we dehumanize them in a sense and so we're not looking at them actually with their real the real qualities that they have and so we're, uh, you know that, that objectifying process um really mm-hmm enables us to sort of treat treat them differently um which is yeah and i think yeah (laughs) i was gonna say that's that's this whole um challenge of the the whole the development of the institution of childhood as he talks about right that's just another um layer of stuff between us right that makes it harder for us to um, connect with them to really see things from their perspective we're Mm. we're just so used to um, seeing it from our own right Mm. and that that's fine there's nothing wrong with that that's that is our perspective but when we're in relationship and trying to help and support uh, our child growing up Mm. we also need to be able to truly release our um framework throw away that lens and also be able to see through their lens right and not belittle them not think oh that's childish that's cute 
you know, just all the minimizing we do of, of what children do. They're just their day-to-day lives, right? Mm. Yeah, mm. I think it's so important. And I, in a way, it's one of the reasons why I was interested in unschooling. I mean, not consciously, but I think it informed me, like, because he talks quite a bit. Um, I think it might be in this chapter about children learning through the Suzuki method of the violin. And yeah. that's actually yeah. what I did. But I was quite hothoused. <laughs> Um, and so although it, it, I can see that the approach, the Suzuki approach could be really, could be really relational. You, you learn alongside your parent um, mm-hmm. and you, you do it in a way that you kind of, you're playing interested music right from the beginning. Like you don't have to start off like learning the scales and things, but you're, you're playing exciting and interesting things. Um, but again, with anything, it's how it's, I guess it's how it's done. Um, and there was a, you know, like when I did it, there there was quite a pressure to achieve. And so I think I felt that I didn't want my children to experience that same type of pressure so that if they were interested in something, I wanted it to be more about them. Um, like you're, like you talked about then, you know, like I didn't want to make it all about me. Um, Mm -hmm. I I wanted them, their interest to emerge organically, um, rather than it being something that was more imposed upon them so I think I mean I, I think it's sort of getting the balance well I don't know if the no, balance isn't the right word but <laughs> um, I think it would then schooling it, I think it, it's it is being guided more by the child and sit, rather than having like that framework or theory um but seeing what yeah what they're interested in how they would like to do it and not jumping in and sort of taking over which I think can happen it can happen I think that happened to me a bit so I think I'm sort of quite sensitive to that dynamic yeah I love that point it really does come down to the relationships again right and when when I think about um framework so often you know I imagine um parents thinking that you know they have this framework for their children you know and they can make choices within that but they have to stay within this framework or boundaries um, that that parents feel are acceptable. And when I think about um, our unschooling lives, to me, what comes to mind is more like scaffolding that mm-hmm. we're building underneath them rather than on top, over top or into the future, you know, depends on how you look at it. But that scaffolding of support and understanding um, on which our children, um, they or that walled garden, whatever, where they feel safe and supported. Um, because as, as you mentioned, John talks about how you need that environment um, for good for learning to happen for I was going to say good learning, but, you know, for real learning, for mm-hmm. actual learning where they um, feel comfortable and safe enough um to be able to just dive into whatever they're curious about in the moment. So I always like to think of that framework more as scaffolding that's underneath and supportive rather than a framework that we're trying to overlay onto mm. their lives. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we should uh, move on. I think you've got your last point that you'd like to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, yeah, this is taken from the last chapter, uh, which John calls steps to take. Um, I'll start off with the quote that I think opens this chapter as well. Um, and I think I've, I've got a feeling that this 
might be partly on Jan's website. Where it certainly mentioned he mentions Paul Goodman. Um, I'm sure in one of his articles on Jan Hunt's website. So anyway, um, he says Paul Goodman in his many talks with young people used to say that one way to work for a truly different and better world was to act in their daily lives as far as they could, as if that world existed. What would you do, he would ask them, if the world had become more or less the kind of place you want it to be? How would you live? How would you treat other people? Live that way now. Treat them that way now. If something prevents you, try to find out a way to deal with that. We can begin to treat children, even the youngest and smallest, wherever we may find them, as we would want to treat them in the society we are trying to make. So I really like that because I think sometimes thinking about children's rights, um, you know, society as it is, prejudice against children, it can all feel quite overwhelming. Um, and there seems to be so many barriers in the way that um, I don't know about other, I mean, I know for myself, it can feel, you know, well, how, how do we, how can we move forward? And I think um, it's quite useful to think, and I think it's quite useful to think, you know, like do what you can. Um, and I think that's where Teresa comes in as well, you know, making changes within your own family and with your own children, working on yourself um, are important places to start. Um, and John, he also talks about sort of being courteous to children um, and extending the same respect and dignity that we would for all adults and things like respecting their physical and emotional space. And he's got a lovely uh, bit um, in the book where he talks about, um, you know, respecting babies and how actually if you... Um, when you actually really get to know a baby, they'll let you know when they want to be picked up or if they want you to sort of like interact with them. And you can notice very subtle cues. And I, I just like how he's respectful and from, you know, he recognises their personhood from such a young age. Because I think sometimes mm -hmm. um, people just maybe pass a baby around and they, they might not notice that, that, you know, the baby's attached to a particular person or you know, they may be tired or upset, you know, the, it's like the baby becomes the property of the group rather than, you know, but he he brings it back, you know, um, and he talks about respecting children's rights, um, you know, to their property and to their privacy um, and also to their own sort of like internal um, thoughts and their emotional world. I just liked the way that he sort of focused on that. Um, and, and emphasized how important that is really yeah yeah I really love that <laughs> I love the way you talked about the babies too right because <clears throat> uh, they are people right <laughs> right away mm. and the idea that you know so often it's about oh now it's just uh, the baby fits into our lives as in we just need to now you know have a stroller and a carrier and, and they mm -hmm. come all these places and fit in. Um, and he talks about, you know, how, how so often they're more seen as, as a, as a bit of a nuisance, you know, but anyway, yeah, I love that. And the, the quote that you started with as well, because I think that's something that we discover with unschooling, how much we can um, live that life that we kind of envision or want. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I found that there really was um, the ability, maybe, um, we could live those relationships that we 
envisioned with our children now, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, and we can uh, give them that space, like you were talking about, John said, with for their for their emotional lives. Give them that um, space for pondering and thinking, and give them that privacy. Um, just be respectful of them as a human being, right? Mm-hmm. And there to connect. Because, you know, when you think about it with our relationships with our children, those are great ways to be in relationship with um, all the people that are important to us mm-hmm. in our lives, right? So it, it is amazing how you can um live that with them and even just be an example of living uh, differently with your children when you're out and about in the world. So I know sometimes I had to do things like, you know, um, when there were conventional rules and, and things out in the world, you know, I would talk to the people involved because they're maybe there because of some previous incident or something, something. But if I chatted with them and we explained, talked about our particular situation, you know, sometimes my kids could join things when they were younger than the age stated mm-hmm. or, you know, stay longer or take more or less um, of the classes or activities or whatever. You know, there are ways for us to um, engage in our in the life that we envision now. Mm-hmm. And just by doing so, we're living that out in the world and other people are are seeing that. Um, and <clears throat> for me, that's an interesting piece when we're out and about and people see us doing something a little bit differently and conversations come up and I'm kind of all about planting those seeds you know, um, not confrontational about it, not putting expectations on other people, um, but to be able to just plant those seeds that this isn't the only way. And I think, you know, that message is getting out there now. And, and I love people who are more dedicated to, um, you know, confronting those, uh, kinds of rules and things, uh, more directly, politically, etc. Um, but it's also great too to live it out in the world as well. So I think the combination of it all is is really helpful. And I know John's book was written many many years ago, but uh, you know his ideas are on the nose. And he even talks about how you know it might be a little bit and a little bit, you know, not just one foul swoop for mm-hmm. such and such, but so many of those things, you know the um so many of those needs and rights that he talks about we can incorporate reasonably well into our lives today yeah i mean and, uh, and I was, I was probably, probably we, we haven't mentioned you know the the, the convention on the rights of the child which was in 1989 which sort <laughs> of was a which I know Elizabeth Young Brawl sort of sees as a big step forward in terms of children's rights um, and, you know, recognising on a sort of societal and governmental level that children need to have, you know, that deserve to have certain rights and respect and um, in our society. So mm-hmm. I think, um, so yeah, it's, it's about the individual family and individual relationships, but also, you know, it changes on an institutional level, but 
Um, yes, very good yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have a, just a little bit of a conclusion that I wanted to uh, just bring it all together. Uh, in the book, Holt describes lots of typical situations um, that showcase how so many of the challenges that children and parents face are rooted in um, children wanting to grow up and adults wanting to protect them by extending their childhood. And I just wanted to share this quote, which I think wonderfully summed that all up. Children want to grow up. While they are growing up, they want some of the time to be around the kind of adults who like being grown up and who think of growing up as an exploration and adventure, not the process of being chased out of some Garden of Eden. They do not want to hear older people say, as many people in the alternative school movement so often do, these are the best years of your life. We are going to save them for you and keep the wicked world from spoiling them. What could be more discouraging? And he continues a bit further along. But instead of trying to make sure that all children get only those experiences we think are good for them, I would rather make available to children, as to everyone else, the widest possible range of experiences, except those that hurt others, and let them choose those they like best. Because that's what he wishes uh, for all human beings, regardless of age. And we're right back there again. And I, I just loved his perspective on that. And you could tell just through so many of the examples that he shared that he really enjoyed engaging with the children in his life and um, talking, understanding things from their perspective, chatting with them, chatting with other adults, you know, and I really uh, love the perspective that he brings to this whole discussion. So do you have any closing comments you'd like to share, Emma? I think you've, I think you've um, said it there. That one? Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love that quote. Yeah, I really like that quote. Yeah, I think it's awesome. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for chatting with me today, Emma. As always, I really enjoy digging into the ideas with you. And it's amazing. <laughs> how um you know what we did we kind of choose a topic that we'd like to dive into and the push and pull of the books that get get in there and it's like oh no this doesn't quite work back and forth i really appreciate all the time you put into this with me that's okay and I enjoyed it. before we yeah <laughs> uh, definitely some long email chains <laughs> uh before we go where can people connect with you online um, well, I've got my blog, rethinkingparenting.co.uk. And um, on Facebook, I do um, run, a, it's called Radical Unschoolers Discussion Group. So people can connect with me there too, if they like. Awesome. I will put links to those in the show notes as well. And thanks, everybody, and have a great day. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to pick up your free copy of my book, What is Unschooling? In it, we'll explore some of the common questions people have when they first hear about unschooling, like how will my child learn? How do I know they're learning? What is de-schooling? And how do I get started? It's also available at many online ebook retailers. 
And if you'd like to connect online, you can find me on Facebook at Living Joyfully. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.